0: To a junior high kid in the 90s, the arrival of Jim Carrey was akin to the birth of Jesus Christ. His insane, over-the-top performance, combined with a penchant for inane toilet humor, was nothing short of crack cocaine. In 1996, I skipped gleefully to see his latest and greatest. I entered the theater in near-orgasmic joy and left completely confused. It was dark. Like, really dark. My hero was portraying a sociopath and not exactly the funny kind, more like the I'm awkwardly laughing while looking for ways to make my escape kind. I didn't like it or get it at all. Years later, I doubled back to this strange film and found I really liked it. In fact, I loved it. It wasn't putty humor at all. It was satiric dark comedy genius. Never before or since has my appraisal of a film flipped so dramatically from hatred to adoration. That movie was. The Cable Guy!
1: Welcome to the Hold Up. Each month we pick a movie one of us remembers fondly but hasn't seen in years, watch it, and decide does it hold up? I'm John Nelson. And I'm John Longino. And greetings, people of Earth. We are speaking to you from the past. Nanu, of, uh, <laughs> January 2019 to you, future types. Uh, hey, it must be February then, right?
0: Indeed it is. Good old February, the the month of love.
1: Yeah, we picked a great one because this is uh, love gone psychotic, <laughs> if memory True. serves. But before we get into chewing on the main steak, let's dabble with some tidbits from the past. We have gotten emails at our email address at holdapodcast at gmail.com. John, would you read the
0: first one? Sure. Our first uh, accoutrement comes from Mia. Mia writes, Nelson, I'm disappointed. Longino had it right. Hackers was unintentional, intentional, and in all other ways funny. If looked at as a music video or pop video game, it's a fun movie. The buddy bits are its strength. There's nothing better than watching Lord Nikon and Serial Killer being goofy kids. Debatable. Hack the planet. Thank you for both taking me back to watch Philadelphia again. I had only watched it once when it first came out, and I remembered, too, that it was great. Had a message that would carry on for years and equally made me uncomfortable, cry, and cheer. Now, as I watched and reflected along with both of you, I was able to appreciate it in a whole new level. This movie now was felt with a deeper understanding as an adult that still makes me uncomfortable cry and cheer. Thank you, Mia. Oh, that's very sweet. But we're not done, John. We got another email about Philadelphia.
1: We we do. And uh, this comes from my own flesh and blood, Chris Nelson. Uh, And he likes, as I do, to chatter on at the mouth. Dear John and John, longtime listener, first time correspondent. You may know me in real life. I'm Nelson's brother. As fate would have it, I also happen to be a lawyer, and I listened to your podcast about Philadelphia, and you raised two interesting points I thought I'd address. First, this film does draw at least some inspiration from a case involving an attorney named Jeffrey Bowers. Mr. Bowers brought, and ultimately prevailed in, a discrimination suit alleging that Baker McKenzie terminated him for having AIDS after noticing that his face and body had visible lesions. Mr. Bowers passed away two months into his case. The case was actually a series of administrative hearings in front of an employment judge and not a trial, and it lasted more than two years. But his family maintained the case in his name and was ultimately victorious after both the initial hearings and appeal. The producers of the film spoke extensively with Mr. Bauer's family members, but never compensated them, Jeez. which was not well received. I can't imagine why. Hmm. Which means, ironically, that the film about lawyers suing lawyers ended up needing more lawyers to resolve <laughs> everything. The producers in the Bauer's family ultimately settled, and the credits of the film even include the following statement. This motion picture was inspired by part by Jeffrey Bauer's AIDS discrimination lawsuit, the courage and love of the Angius family, and the struggles of the many others who, along with their loved ones, have experienced discrimination because of AIDS. Second, you both noticed and spoke a bit about how in the film one of the jurors chuckles at a bigoted comment made by the defense and then that same juror turns around in deliberations and favors the plaintiff, making a strong point in favor of the plaintiff that was never raised at trial. This happens all the time. (laughs) Reading and understanding juries is to lawyers akin to understanding the mysteries of God and the universe. If you are a juror or prospective juror, and you all are, know this. We obsess over you. Every tiny bit of information and every bit of feedback we get from every single juror is scrutinized and fretted over with more anguish than a seventh-grader's diary. We look at your social media. We delve into every single publicly available transaction you've made in your life. All of this is to say that in a case where there are relatively high stakes, like the one in Philadelphia, there are often good reasons why we, as lawyers, can't make that awesome, glaringly obvious point to the jury. Films about trials are often a little misleading in this way. Most of the big fights in a case happen before the trial, and directing and limiting the other side's evidence or legal conclusions is where most trials are won and lost, before the jury is even impaneled. That said, those fights are tedious, so the film industry has to be excused because no one wants to watch that for certain. But there are a lot of legal, evidentiary, and conduct rules that prohibit us from introducing certain evidence or even making certain points. That's not to say that the point the juror actually makes in Philadelphia is something that would normally be inadmissible. I mean, why would you put an incompetent idiot on the biggest case your firm has ever had? But I did want to point out the phenomenon because it's really common. Anyway, good work as always, guys. Very truly
0: yours. That's how lawyers sign their letters. Christopher Nelson. Well, at least he's honest about it. I- Christopher, I got to say, I do want your advice on one more thing. I was actually looking for legal counsel on how to get a restraining order against you with the way you were talking about stalking us and looking at us all the time. To-
1: no, that's legal stalking, man. Just I'm, like, the, I'm just just like the movie we're about to watch. That <laughs> brings it around nicely. Yeah, I don't
0: know. Next time I see a lawyer, I'm running. Like, that was yeah, that's just... I mean, well, like, I was already doing that anyway. That's probably but. good advice anyway.
1: <laughs> moving on to the stalker movie of the night. Let's talk about The Cable Guy. Yeah,
0: speaking of creepy. Yeah, right? Okay. Keep it up. Cable
1: Guy. Cable Guy. The Cable Guys. So this is, I believe, our first Jim
0: Carrey movie, yes? I think so i'm trying to yeah i can't think of another one this is definitely the first one
1: yeah so that probably will involve us talking a lot about our feelings about jim carrey in particular and this movie uh in general
0: i think it's appropriate because jim carrey nowadays he you know certainly is still a a big star and stuff but he's maybe in less things in this time in the 90s he was just like a comet taking off and lighting up the night sky with movie after hit movie this and was the funny thing about
1: this movie is it was like really if you lived in Hollywood before it was made and you were reading all the trades and stuff it was real like not controversial but it was sort of like people going nging, nging, because I think this was the movie where he got his first 20 million dollar paycheck. Oh really. And that was it, that flipped off the debate about people going why should one man get 20 million dollars and that never that, that argument has never actually gone away it just someone just keeps getting paid more like robert downey jr or right. whatever and people say why do people get paid so much money um but it was real controversial about well this better be the best movie ever made ever because jim carrey doesn't deserve no 20 million dollars and then the movie came out and people were like because they were expecting you know sure. like ace ventura or whatever else and him talking out of his asshole <laughs> and there was not that in this movie
0: this one I think is interesting to talk about because this is a, even though we only have well, like a eight to 10 to maybe 200 years between us, uh, there there's really <sighs> one this, day you'll be old and dead too, <laughs> this dead is, inside. I should say, <laughs> I, I already am, <laughs> <laughs> but this is the period of time to me is the most interesting because you're a young adult, uh, in the late nineties and I'm still like kind of a kid, like a child. Adolescent. Yeah, like, like to the difference between junior high and college is a huge oh, yeah. difference, it's right? It's like we have 10 years between us now, and it's
1: like we're practically the same dude, but back right. then <laughs> it's like they could not be more different, I'm sure.
0: Right. So it's interesting that y- your memories of it are like, oh, what are they talking about in the trades, and uh, what does it mean for the business and stuff? Right. And for me, I'm like, Ace Ventura is hilarious. <laughs> I can't wait to see another one of them. Like, no, in a vacuum, like right. totally devoid of that knowledge. I find that really interesting. I find that these are the areas where we – come actually hackers is in a similar vein where we kind of right. come at it from a totally different Point of view right
1: well it's like it's 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 child to man and it's like the real but it's funny because sometimes it's like well i saw something as a child and you saw something at the same age but at a different time and so we have similar reactions to things but then it's like well if you saw hackers in the 90s and i waited until uh a month (laughs) ago to watch it (laughs) yeah then uh, it doesn't have the same uh effication that it has uh earlier on so Which of us has seen it more recently? I'm guessing you have, because I saw it when it came out, and I don't think I've seen it since.
0: Oh, interesting. Well, I've definitely seen it, I mean, recently is not the right word, but I've seen it well past release. Like, I saw it when it came out in 1996, and then I think I saw it a few times after that, kind of on cable type deal, and then then I kind of went back to the well in... I think college or maybe shortly after. So it must have been like mid 2000s is probably the last time I saw the cable guy. So I'm guessing that I know
1: the least about this movie, supposedly. So I will uh, remind the audience. I knew it was the one and only. I think so. I don't remember seeing it more than once, even though, again, it's one of those movies I've owned (laughs) many times. (laughs) I've just never watched it a second time. Um, Although for this one, it's funny because I think I bought the Blu-ray like right before we started this show and then this was one of these movies that came up that were like, oh, we should do Cable Guy. And we've held on to this for three fucking years. It
0: actually is worth mentioning that more than a few times we've kicked around the idea of doing this movie and it's definitely a movie that comes up a lot and just kind of People talking to us about the podcast, right? It, Cable it, Guy's kind of this like, p- p- it's like unsure what people think of it, or we need to double <laughs> check it, or moods change. As I described, I used to hate it, and then I really loved it. Yeah, well, it's, I, I think it uh, it came out at a time, like you said, when it defied what
1: he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be the goofy jackass who was making all kinds of different voices, and he sort of does that, but it's too different effect. I've only seen it the one time, so I will dive in. It's a dark comedy starring Matthew Broderick Jim Carrey, directed, I believe, by Ben Stiller, right? That's correct. This was his second movie, I want to say? Maybe? What What was his first movie? Uh, It was that Reality Bites movie. Oh, he did
0: Reality Bites? Yeah. Oh, okay, I did not.
1: So then Cable Guy came along, and it's this dark comedy about a guy who moves into a new place. I think he's just broken up with his girlfriend, and that's sort of where he bounces off. He's, you know, lonely and sad, and he calls the Cable Guy to get free cable, and somebody tells him, hey, if you slip him 20 bucks, he'll give you free cable. And he does, and Jim Carrey takes it the entire wrong way and thinks that they're besties and starts showing up at his house unannounced and taking him out on dates and just he's stalking him in in no uncertain terms. But it's at an it was at an age where like we were barely acknowledging that men stalked women, you know, in a in a creepy way, that back then it was just like, oh, well, you know, the woman's playing hard to get and the dude has to really uh, work for it or whatever, whatever excuses people were making at the time. Uh, but to have a dude being stalked by another dude was, I don't know, tantamount to saying that, you know, uh, it, the sky is red. It was just like, this doesn't happen. This is, you know, crazy bullshit. And on top of that, the movie is not goofy, but dark, like you say. So I don't remember a lot of specifics about it, although I remember kind of. I don't. Know, what would you call them? Bits? Like Jim Carrey sure. singing, you know, uh, Jefferson Airplane yeah. and karaoke or whatever and somebody to love. Somebody to love, right. And then him like putting them going to medieval nights and him putting like meat or on his medieval face. Medieval times. I'm right? sorry. Medieval yeah. times. And then uh, putting meat on his face and saying <laughs> of the lamp, shit like that. Like again, trying to do his shit. I think you're
0: just running through the trailer, which makes sense because that would be probably the stuff they would pull. Right.
1: Um, and I remember the ending and I don't want to bust it out because, you know, we're going to be talking about it later, but it was kind of like, not just odd in the sense that like, oh, this is an odd movie and a dark movie. It was odd for like, even for a dark movie, I kind of wondered if it made sense sure. and I'd be curious to see if it still makes sense. Cause it's sort of like the movie was about stalking, but then by the end it was sort of like attacking media. Right. And one of the th- one of the flyers in the movie that I really enjoyed was Ben Stiller does not appear in the movie as he did in Reality Bites um, as a part. He appeared in the movie basically as a running gag. He's the Menendez <laughs> brothers,
0: right? And he was, i don't think they call him the Menendez brothers, but they might as well. I be. think I it's mean, just one. Clearly... They make
1: him one dude, but he's basically doing the whole shtick that the Menendez
0: brothers. No, no, no. Do. He, well, he is a twin. Like, they, oh, is he? I, I think it's—I think it's very obviously meant to be the Menendez brothers, but like a kind of you know fakey version. Sort of close enough and we all get what we're talking about but it right. was like the Babindez bros or whatever you know it was like right. really close.
1: But he was just he would pop up like every half hour that someone would turn on the TV and flip past the Menendez brothers trial and he would be doing something like something stupid that the brothers had done on the trial because they were real like you know for those who don't know the Menendez brothers killed their parents and then thought that they could get away with it for some reason and then when they went on trial they were like oh god acting super dramatic because they'd seen all kinds of shit on TV apparently uh, that made them think they could get away with it and basically everybody the jury the judge and everybody else is like "Uh, no and they put him in jail and that was pretty much the end of that Uh, Christopher Nelson will write in another novel to tell us where (laughs) I've gotten that wrong But uh, yeah, he he appears in the part, he directed it, and then he appears in this little running joke about being the Menendez brothers, and apparently the whole thing is a satire about media, which I am not entirely certain about. Right?
0: (laughs) Well, I I mean, you're pretty much right. I mean, that's my take on it, too. I think what was really cool about it, or, or, well, frustrating the first time, and really cool to find out and kind of come back to later... Was that it was very much marketed and billed as like, here's Jim Carrey's next comedy vehicle. Right. So, you, hey, you've seen Ace Ventura. You've seen The Mask. You've seen, you know, fucking Ace Ventura when nature calls and all <laughs> this crazy You've seen shit. Uh, In Living Color. You've seen him in fucking Batman Forever as the Riddler or whatever. <laughs> right. So, so that and it, it worked because that's why I was there and right. I was ready for that. Now, that's not what the movie actually is. Mostly, there's some of that. I think when you cast Jim Carrey and you let him kind of just go for it, you're going to get funny Jim Carrey stuff. So so it's like kind of there, but the movie is more the satire you're talking about. So I don't know if that's a failure of the film to convey in and of itself or just the marketing kind of misleading or misdirecting you. It's kind of similar to I, I may have talked about this in the past in reference to other movies and stuff, but something like Blade Runner I think is a, is a mm-hmm. good example of like oh it's Harrison Ford and it's a sci-fi movie and I'm in for Star Wars and it's like no <laughs> right. you're you're in for a noir dystopian nightmare about you know humanity or whatever right so so I think what from from what I remember what Cable Guy is actually about is that it's a sharp criticism on media mm-hmm. and it's actually kind of i think and i'm this is what i'm really curious to see now a really disturbing and very well-timed criticism of things that like are kind of to come it, so the framing device of the quote-unquote menendez brothers trial that goes through the whole movie kind of it, and, and it, it sort of leads into the ending that you're, you're sort of avoiding talking about but, but <laughs> right. basically th- there's a way in which that is it, Sort of is in the background and then comes to the forefront right in the end, almost right. in this kind of like essay delivering its final thing. But, um, but like essentially, the way I look at it is it's a study of like TV. How does it affect us as a society? What if someone was raised by television? Because right. we all kind of are anyway, right? Like the premise is like this guy had a very negligent mother and no father figure and was basically just left to watch. Television as a child, as many children were, like latchkey kids. Right. All of us Gen Xers <laughs> yeah. moving into 90s kids, Gen exactly. Yers. And you sort of dial that idea up to just all the way crazy. Right. Like this man had no parents. He's just raised by TV and he's completely socially inept. Right. And his only understanding of human interaction is what he has seen on television, not real humanity. And I think it's very telling. This movie comes out in 1996. It is the era of like O.J. Simpson trial. Menendez right. And trial, you know, Raina Bobbett and all it's <laughs> right. just like all
1: this all these trials of the century yeah.
0: or as like human real life horrors become entertainment in news that people are watching literally just like a movie or for right. entertainment and it I think it's very intentional that that stuff is juxtaposed with Jim Carrey and then kind of the, the rewatch version of the movie that became clear to me after having seen the ending of the movie was like oh this is a commentary on on media and I think it's really effective that way at least I remember it being right Or, for all I know, (laughs) it's just a fucking mess and it's like, is it a satire? Is it a goofy comedy? It's both. Like, who knows? Yeah, I'd be
1: curious because I kind of... I went into the movie because, you know, having had sort of foreknowledge of the movie being made, I also kind of knew that it wasn't supposed to be a straight up Jim Carrey comedy. I mean, I know it was marketed as such and a lot of people were sort of questioning that decision. Like, well, why why make a dark comedy if you're going to advertise it like Ace Ventura? But I knew kind of going in, it's like, well, this is supposed to be a little bit different and maybe I was expecting it to be even more sinister and dark. Sure. And, and maybe I was putting too much on it the time that I saw it because I liked it. There was nothing wrong with it, but I also was sort of, I I don't know if underwhelmed captures that, but it was just sort of like, oh, okay. I mean, it was sort of funny in spots and and other spots. I was just like, okay.
0: I'm going to hypothesize that maybe the reality is something like this. Um, Because to me, this this sort of satirical commentary was so impactful on me, the second viewing, because Mm -hmm. it was completely lost on me, the first viewing, (laughs) right? Right. So even the discovery of it was like, oh, this is actually amazing. Right. I didn't realize it. But maybe it's kind of in the middle. Like, maybe it was written and created to be this kind of biting satire, and then Jim Carrey gets cast in it? (laughs) Right. And then the realities of that and the pressures of the producers and everything, it kind of becomes like a weird, kooky hybrid of both, like, Jim Carrey comedy and satire? Well, I wonder, because I remember Jim Carrey
1: bits, and I feel like perhaps the character is maybe you know under undermined by that you know like well if he's socially inept then how is he able to sort of take jim carrey's charisma and use it to his advantage you know what i'm saying it's like jim carrey walks into a room he's the center of attention the cable guy is that really what he should be now again i haven't seen this movie in however long so maybe i'll watch it tonight and be less judgy about that kind of thing and
0: maybe i'll just roll with it a lot more so who knows sure well, I think it's really telling that I think the, the and it's a long bit of the movie, the most like sketch comedy, Jim Carrey, it might as well be on in living color section of the movie is when they go to medieval times. Right. Like that's almost pure, just kind of bit comedy. Right. Cause they end up fighting. Yes. Yeah. They, yes. They, <laughs> they end up having a Star Trek, like duel right. to the death, which is funny. Cause it's like, Oh, Star the... Trek is
1: playing in the background, but at the same time it's like, okay, so that's a funny
0: sketch yeah. gag. But again, it's great. But I think it's also telling, and I know this because I remember seeing a making of, that Jim Carrey brought Medieval Times to the table. Really? It was like they were supposed to go to dinner or something, and Jim Carrey was the one that was like, no, they need to go to Medieval Times, and this place is amazing, and let me take you, and they scouted it and like came up with that. So that they're like basically half-improving that entire thing. <laughs> okay. So it seems to me, if Jim Carrey's able to make comedic suggestions and get them as far as like, doing the medieval times thing mm. he must have some kind of influence on the movie of like what way the comedy's going
1: yeah well
0: but the to his credit i remember the medieval times thing being the funniest thing in the movie like easily and i certainly when i was there to see a jim carrey goofy comedy by the time that finally rolled around <laughs> i was like, thank like Christ. in a desert you know and i found an oasis <laughs> it was like oh my god thank you Because I remember that being super funny. Now, it was funny when I was in junior high, you know, him going like, best friends, forced to do battle, (laughs) like fighting, and then all this goofy, I think uh, there's like, Janine Garofalo is like serving them drinks like, here you are, my liege, like no, like basically (laughs) no selling all this like medieval shit. So it's full sketch, basically. Well and that's I'm, basically I'm that's it.
1: that's the that there is the precursor to like every late nineties character just so bored they can barely stand right. to be in the same room as anything else. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Um well do you have anything else to add about this movie particularly? Because again, I I don't remember specifics well, about it, so, so I don't remember how I felt about it.
0: So other like specific things I kind of remember, and this is this goes towards like, this is not what I was expecting at all. There's really creepy stuff. With um, it's so it's Matthew Broderick is is in this alongside Star Jim of the Carrey. Lion King, <laughs> yeah, sure, <laughs> Star of the producers on Broadway. Right. Matthew Broderick, the the part that's creepy is J- Matthew Broderick's ex girlfriend or kind of girlfriend. I think he might be seeing somebody. Jim Carrey sort of swoops in on and romances and like steals from him because well, he's trying to prove the.
1: Point that like Broderick shouldn't be with her, right, or right. something. Like that. Or he's
0: like, I, it, that's this kind of stalking, you know, fatal attraction thing where right. he's just like fucking with him. But instead of stealing an animal and cooking it, he's like <laughs> basically. <laughs> trying to fuck his girlfriend, but Matthew, so, so it's like Matthew Broderick realizes he's insane, but everyone else, he sweet talks everyone else. Right. And so it's just kind of like Matthew Broderick's the only one that understands that he's a nutcase. Or and is it
1: one of those where like Matthew Broderick starts sounding like the dude who cried wolf because he's like, well, he's crazy. And people are like, right. no, he's great. People love him. Right.
0: But there's things, the one bit I really remember is he's with his family and his girlfriend and they're playing porno password so it's like it's like the old tv show password you know but they're doing a porno dirty version or something so it's where it's like nipple or whatever (laughs) but i want to say jim carrey leans over to matthew broderick and says like i can't wait to fuck your girlfriend tonight or something (laughs) something like totally out of line and insane and then matthew broderick in a rage like punches him or attacks him in front of everyone and the whole family's like oh my god like how could you or whatever and jim carrey's feigning this like oh my god we were friends like why are you punching me you know right. and they're like it's just a joke man and Matthew brodericks he's basically being like gaslit to holy hell being like no it's oh uh, my god and Jim Carrey's like I don't know what you're talking about I didn't do anything so so, but I remember him saying something really overtly sexual and disturbing about his girlfriend that was like way over the line right. for like Ace Ventura would never be that he would just like <laughs> fart in your face and laugh like he wouldn't right. do that so it was that I remember being weird. And there's lots of things like that where you're like, this is kind of crossing a line, this is disturbing. Yeah, I feel
1: like they were doing that on purpose. They were See, that's where they're maybe trying to have their cake and eat it, too, because they, I think, were trying to use that Jim Carrey knowledge that everybody has. They're like, oh, they think they're going to see a wacky Jim Carrey film. Wait till they see how bad it
0: can get. Right.
1: And, and just fucking with people. And maybe people didn't like to be fucked with, and maybe that's why the
0: movie didn't enjoy Probably.
1: a ton of success. Well,
0: because you go into the movie, I mean, certainly I did, you think Jim Carrey's going to be your hero. Right. Right. You're like, oh, it's been sure in the mask. Like, well, like, I'm the behind this guy all the guy. Like, he's
1: the guy yeah. in the poster. There is yeah. no Matthew Broderick. Just
0: electricity all around him. Yeah. Here I am. Yeah. But Matthew Broderick is actually your point of view. Right. Supposedly. And, well, I mean, pretty much really. Like, once you... If you watch the movie as, like, this is Fatal Attraction with Cable... Right. <laughs> then it, then it's kind of more accurate to what's actually going on. Well,
1: because my memory of Matthew Broderick is they've also they haven't really pulled any punches with him. I mean, it's funny you should compare it to Fatal Attraction because Fatal Attraction is the same way. We're supposed to feel really bad for Michael Douglas because he fucks around with, on his <laughs> wife, and then that comes back to haunt him. and You're like, oh, poor guy, and on the but you're watching the movie, it's like, well. yeah Yeah, you you don't have an affair yeah don't cheat on your wife and then you won't have this problem right and so i feel like matthew broderick also has that where it's like it starts innocently enough where it's like oh he pays the cable guy for illegal cable and then once he gets deep in this guy's like psychosis he's like well i can't get out because i you know did something illegal and then he just keeps going down a rabbit hole
0: that's actually a really good point it is this kind of deal with the devil thing because i think if jim carrey was behaving the way he was but matthew broderick didn't have this guilt of like paying him for the free cable. Right. He would obviously have nothing to do with this bullshit. Right. But that's kind of like the line he crosses that makes him keep compromising himself yeah. and his morality. Well,
1: and he keeps, I, he because of that, he keeps, like you say, kind of taking that next step where it's like, well, I'll, I will only pretend to be his friend this time. And then he keeps having it. You know, the deeper that Jim Carrey gets into, like, oh, we're besties, the more Matthew Broderick's like, right. I, I don't want to, but I feel like I've, I've gotten myself into a trap. I don't remember feeling like. Particularly sympathetic for him and maybe that's by design or maybe it's like you're supposed to feel sympathetic but like eh you make a mistake i I think
0: the first time i didn't and the second time i did oh okay like the interesting thing about when i rewatched the movie and i'm curious to see if we feel this way tonight is once i kind of knew what was up with the movie right i watch it in a totally different point of view yes and so it's not pulling any tricks on me i know what's gonna happen so now it's more like watching jaws or something it's like <laughs> i have dread for what's going to happen to matthew Broderick, not like uh, anticipated delight in the hilarity i'm about uh, to experience uh, right <laughs> well
1: and maybe again by design who knows so then that maybe leads to an interesting question john longino yes do you want to make a bet on this do let's you th- do it yeah do you think that I mean, the cable... in fact
0: literally what we're here to do
1: I, I think it is uh do you think the cable
0: guy will hold up that It's a really interesting question. I, I'm i hopeful it will. I think it will. Um, I will say I'm not like steadfast, super certain. I'm not like, yeah, holds up, not a problem. I think because my mood has shifted so much from previous viewings, and that's the thing, I didn't... It's not like I saw it one time, didn't like it and put it away. Right. I was a kid in junior high that kept giving it more chances, <laughs> being like, no, but I love Jim Carrey. Let me try it again. Right. Let me try it again. And every time I watch it, I'm like, this is just not... Ace Ventura, what is this bullshit? <laughs> and so I felt very strongly that I didn't like it for like many viewings. And then to see it later and be like, oh, I I didn't get this. right? And then I felt very strongly uh, the other direction that it was like genius. But I don't know if that was overcompensation for the kind of swerve it pulled on me. Right. I, I've never watched it from a kind of neutral point of view. So, so I, I don't actually know how I'm going to feel about it. I'm hopeful that it will hold up. I'm going to do something I don't usually do, which is I'm going to say
1: that it doesn't hold up, but I'm hoping that it will because I I, I just feel like I'm in that 49-51 area sure. where it's like, well, I'll probably like it, but I won't be overjoyed by it, or I won't like it, but it's a pretty good in other ways, so I'm going to fall on the side of not holding up just out of cynicism. But <laughs> otherwise, I'm, I'm excited because I actually want to like this a lot because everybody whose opinion i respect on this matter tends to like this movie and tends to hold it up as a like this is an example of a good dark comedy and especially a good jim carrey dark comedy so i would like to like it i'm kind of biased towards liking it but i'm going to cynically hedge my bets and say it doesn't hold up how's that strike you very reasonably <laughs> <laughs> excellent well if no more need be said about uh, our pre-thoughts then let's go watch the Cable Guy. Cable Guy! <laughs> Let's do this. Slip the Cable Guy 50 bucks, he'll give you all the movie channels for free. You're offering me a bribe. What you have just done is illegal. And in this state, if convicted, you could be fined up to $5,000 or spend six months in a correctional facility.
0: Oh, oh, please. No, that was dumb. I was just, I was just making conversation. <laughs> I'm just jerking your chin. <laughs> I'll juice you up for Steven Kovacs
1: Hey! You guys play here too? Cool. The price of cable just went up. Okay, Chip Douglas, you're on my team. Let's play. No way.
0: <clears throat> I'm on serious him No.
1: Oh! We're not friends. I don't even know you. Well, let's fix that. He's got a friend he can't control. Where are we going? The finest restaurant in town.
0: Can I have your skin? Check this out Silence of the Lambs.
1: I just don't have any room in my life for a new friend. So, what are you trying to say? A friend who will not be ignored.
0: I gave you free cable. The guy is a sociopath.
1: (laughs) He leaves messages on my machine night and day. If you're there, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. He shows up wherever I go. He won't leave me alone. He's gonna need some tough love. There's Stephen Kovacs
0: in here. I'm Stephen Kovacs. I didn't do anything. Just call my cable guy. At least look into it. Nobody named Chip Douglas works for the cable company. Suspicious isn't it?
1: You're all being fooled by him. (laughs) He's a lunatic and he's a felon.
0: Don't mess with me. Come back here, so that I may paint thee! I'm here for you! Don't do that, you're gonna get me killed! Oh, Billy!
1: <laughs> Jim Carrey, Matthew Broderick, The Cable Guy.
0: Okay, I'm going! Take off! it off!
1: My lords and ladies,
0: we have returned... From the cable guy. Oh, yes. From the therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably needed after, man. That was something. It was, let me tell you, it was not mellow. Uh, no. I, <laughs> not at all. It, it was yeah. intense. It was an intense movie. Yeah.
1: But uh, here's my first question before we delve too deep. We've talked about this a little bit as being a satire. Having now seen it again, would you still give it that label.
0: Well in in some ways, yes. Okay. I think so. Um it's it's odd because I, I think it really delves into maybe it dips into that the most like right at the end, which makes sense why that's sort of my framing of it you right. know, before we watched it. Because that's sort of what it leaves you with. I think it's it's there. I wouldn't say it's you know, like a Jonathan Swift, like, (laughs) like textbook satire, if you looked up the dictionary definition, but like there are elements there.
1: Well, because I realized as we were watching it right up till the end, I was like, this is interesting. I'm I'm really enjoying this movie, but I don't see the elements of satire that I feel like I saw before. And then again, suddenly the satire comes, if there, if you can call it that just kind of swoops in for the last like three minutes. And I would agree that maybe those three minutes are sort of satiristic, but I don't don't think the movie on a whole is a satire. Which is I, I would still classify it as a dark comedy, sure, f- for certain, and maybe even sort of a uh, a comedic play on. You were, we were talking about like Fatal Attraction before. We were also talking like during the movie about like Cape Fear, North by Northwest. <laughs> right, I, I, it's more it,
0: like a thriller honestly. Yeah, it, it, I think like it was just a, a comedic thriller. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and maybe
0: more straight up than than a satire. Well, I I think that there there's a couple of key things that point me towards satire or let's maybe satire is a strong word let's say social commentary comedy Mm. film is is maybe better but there's two scenes i mean one is the is the kind of flashback to him as a child which is pretty pretty brutal honestly right it's his mom walking out like have fun with the babysitter and he's like staring at the television that and the kind of opening credits where it's showing a lot of TV and stuff. And then obviously the ending, which we, we sort of skirted around talking about. Right. But it's worth bringing up in case, you know, listeners haven't seen the movie in a while. This movie ends with Jim Carrey's apparent suicide attempt <laughs> declaring he's going to kill the babysitter in air quotes. Because uh, he's at the satellite dish that he takes his victims to, <laughs> and he jumps off. And this is all intercut with we were actually wrong. So it's not the Menendez brothers, it's the Sam Sweet trial.
1: Well, right. The, Based on the Menendez Sweet brothers. brothers. <laughs> right. But
0: this one is like one twin brother killed the other brother. That's right. kind of the thing they go with. And there's funny stuff of Ben Stiller playing both parts. But, um, it's like all of a sudden, this thing that's been a running joke in the movie that they've kind of cut back to every now and then, maybe for a little longer than felt necessary, <laughs> suddenly becomes like the entire point of the movie where every human being in, in the world is tuning in to see the results of this trial. and then, Right. And then Jim Carrey lands on the satellite dish destroying the dish cutting off the feed from everyone <laughs> and then kg from tenacious d you know literally just sighs and picks up a book as like a little like he john noticed yeah.
1: he doesn't notice the book until he turns around in yeah. frustration and then <laughs>
0: like yeah and it's i guess meant to be this sort of i mean that's the i think that's where i get satire from is it's just, just very like heavy-handed kind of terrible and lesson coming out of the movie well see the funny thing is about that moment i wouldn't even necessarily
1: i would just say it's another joke because it feels like it's heading towards satire like oh look at us we're all so attached to this thing and then jim carrey you know blows up the dish And then suddenly everybody's cut off and it's like, oh shit, what are we going to do now? Oh, I'll read a book. And it's so like (laughs) (laughs) after school special that I think, I I feel like it's just a joke. I don't feel like it's a, it's a, hey, let's take a glaring look at humanity and our foibles. I think it's just a, hey, in a satire, this would happen. So we're just making yet another joke. And I feel like maybe that I, I, I honestly I kind of like the movie better for that, for kind of sure. not being a satire. T-
0: there is a kind of weird element of nihilistic, just kind of anti humor that that sort of the movie basking in this right. like evil character in his right. horribleness kind of. But um, I, I don't know. I, I I think it could be both ways. Like I, I it really kind of frames for me that for some reason I now. In my later years I've always viewed this movie As like a social commentary I really right. Really have Even if it's being Tongue in cheek Or heavy handed Or obviously a KG from D, <laughs> Like Just kind of Dope face Looking into a book Is a little silly But there's something about There's a this Sort of Movie also kind of Predicted a lot Like his whole speech at the, at the satellite where he's like Pretty soon you television And you're in the internet And everything's gonna be connected And you can play Mortal Kombat With a friend in Vietnam And watch It's like he sounds like a lunatic But it's almost like This kind of idiocracy thing Where like Jim Carrey is the worst version Of what we could become Or kind of are becoming I mean I guess That's I, really kind of the
1: way I see it I don't know. I feel like this is just sort of another, like, here's a real extreme personality because I do think the movie sort of points out that, like, hey, we're all attached to the TV, but I think, like, you... phrased it in the first half, here's a super extreme version of one right. one person who was obviously tilted a little too far anyway, and this is maybe the detrimental effect. But I mean, that's like, that could happen to anybody who's tilted too far if you give them the right sure. impetus. So I don't necessarily feel like the cable guy is a a sweeping social commentary about media. And maybe, again, that's the, that's the problem I've had with this movie since the first time I saw it, which is like, it's this really funny movie about a funny stalker <laughs> until the last few minutes when it's like, suddenly it's a social commentary about the media, which is like, eh, that's not your strongest well, I th- point. Th- oh,
0: here's the thing, I think that's there. It's just more like the movie doesn't really... It's like it doesn't give its thesis until the end. You know what I mean? Like that—that's what's confusing about it, or that's how I—I really suppose, but it doesn't really give many uh, uh, supporting points either. (laughs) Well, I think it kind of does in in a sort of meta way. I mean, this sounds weird to say, but so there's like a—I'm kind of realizing what I really liked about it on on the rewatching is—is Jim Carrey in and of himself is kind of a sad figure in like i don't mean to disparage jim carrey as an actor or anything but he's this super overacting like really zany kind of guy that that was known in pop culture and stuff but but has always had this weird like oscar chasing kind of self-absorbed weirdness to him like he is kind of like the guy in the movie (laughs) For real, skis. you know what I mean right. like And and so he's bringing a lot to that where he's like Oh I'll put chicken on my face and say ah I'm gonna to the lambs and stuff which I believe was an improvised line by sure. the way And and so there's this Weird irony to like he's playing A character but is he It kind of is Jim Carrey This is kind of sad like For real like right. there's this weird Shit going on like The movie's funny but The way a nightmare is you know <laughs> You know how like when you go to bed and every all genres can be like one thing at the same time. It's like a horror movie and a comedy and all. It's like you wake up from a weird fucking dream, being like, "What the <laughs> fuck was that all about?" I don't know. There's there's something. I subconsciously like about the cable guy it's, it's like really hard to describe but there is something going on there like it's just, definitely I'd, it's I'd, like the darkness of humanity is like laid to bear in this weird comedy i really like it i don't know why no, I,
1: I i quite enjoyed it i i was surprised at how much i was enjoying it because i do think for as much as we sort of set up in the beginning that like well they tried to market this as a wacky jim carrey comedy and it's not that it's it's wacky. <laughs> oh, it's
0: I mean, wacky. It's like. It is Ace Ventura.
1: It's just that it's toward a different purpose. It's like right. uh, the goofy shit that he usually does in movies he's the he's the goofy shit and everyone around him is like bah, 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 and sort of the you know the foil for him being just this goofy zany you know fucking bugs bunny whereas in this one it's like you say the bugs bunny is a sad figure where and the people around him are sort of like mm. <laughs> right if they either they see him for what he is and they're kind of suspicious and and you know or feel sorry for him or they can't see past his like weird veneer and they think he's a, a scream but it's like they're not really seeing him as right. the problem so I mean there's I mean if you want to say the social commentary is hey the character of Jim Carrey is it can be seen as sort of a tragic figure that I mean, I could I, <laughs> I could actually be on board with of, that I mean I don't
0: think that was their intention I no. don't think they cast him to make like a meta point I just think that's a quality that has aged with the movie yeah. that maybe didn't exist initially like right. now Jim Carrey is in his later years and he Sure, he's been in great movies, and it's not like his legacy is tarnished or something but he's always been like a weird guy you know oh he's always been sort of desperate for attention I think
1: admittedly desperate for
0: attention like like him creepily online being like I really like Emma Stone a lot and that weird shit is like kind of on par with his (laughs) weird like porno password shit going on in the cable (laughs) like it's not that far off no so I find that really interesting well maybe that's why it works is because he
1: is uh, he has this ability. He's got that, you know, thing that, you know, sad clowns do, which is like, (laughs) hey, I'm going to take all my pain out and I'm going to put it up for you to laugh at. I mean, maybe that's why the part works. And I feel like it does actually really work. Having seen it again now, I really look at the character and say, oh yeah, he is funny and hilarious and really tragic and super annoying. And you know, just he's all these things. He's like, man, I totally get why he's funny. And I also get why Matthew Broderick wants to choke him out because he's fucking annoying. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? It's like if this was the guy who was trying to be your bestie, you'd probably want to shoot him in the brains. You know, I, I get it. So I I I think there's a lot going on. I I just think uh, maybe satire isn't part of it. And I'm actually really fine with that, <laughs> which is funny because like, sure. I feel like the movie gets a lot of like mileage out of being like, oh, it's a social commentary or a satire. And I'm like. Well, maybe not necessarily, but that's not
0: actually a bad thing necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I think I keep re- relying on the word satire because I'm, I don't know. Like, I, I get what you're saying that it's, I, I don't think it's just satire, but I do think that is there, like, in an element. I don't I mean, think I can, it's like non
1: existent. I can see your point on it being there a little bit, but I mean, when I think, you know, we've talked about this off mic quite a bit where we talk about like network or brazil or you know sure. movies like that where okay. you can sort of see from right. the outset that like there's there's signposts that point to like this is a satire well, it's but like, that's
0: not necessary you know okay
1: you're right though that's not necessary to make a good satire you, you know what's interesting
0: about it is it's almost like a, like a trolling movie well, so bad I actually would believe they were it, doing. So that's kind of the difference. Like, okay, so a satire like those movies you talk about, Brazil or you know things like that, are very they they wink at you right at the top, right? Like they right. let you know, like, hey, we're making a satire, like uh, *Gulliver's Travels* and all, you know, like right. it's it's really obvious this movie masquerades <laughs> as a Jim Carrey comedy <laughs> and then gotchas at the end with like, oh, that's kind of not, I mean, there are elements of that for right. sure, but like it, it's pretend almost very much like the Jim Carrey character. He's like pretending to be one thing and is in fact totally another thing. Like they yeah, hide maybe. their intentions in a way that's weird and then it's sort of like by in the end of the movie or towards the latter half or like hey we we kind of got gotcha. you right. know the, he's not your hero he's literally like a psychopath <laughs> right kidnapping and tying up women like it's a fucking bond movie he literally even says this is like the end of the golden eye or whatever right like well, see, he's but that, just out of his mind
1: yes and maybe it's that maybe that's the moment that i'm actually sort of putting all my ducks in this one row is that i hate in movies except when it's like meticulously done i hate when people say this isn't a movie and they're in a movie because there's just something about that that i'm like okay you know when you say that it's a real like it everything points to it at that point it's like this isn't a movie and you in the audience go yes it sure is so i so when they set up that moment i i can't I don't even know right now. I can't tell if it's like they're trying to give you that moment for serious or if it's they're just like right. this is
0: not a movie because
1: they say that in other places well, and it's
0: goofy. I agree with you that usually that kind of a thing is cringy, but actually this time I, I don't know why. Like it really works for me in this movie. Mm. Like I think and and to be clear, they're at the top of the tower and then Jim Carrey's like, Come on, man, or saying some crazy shit and Matthew It's like Bro- Goldeneye or whatever. It's like Goldeneye, it's like this. And Matthew Broderick's going, Hey man Calm down, this is not a movie. Like you're in reality. This is not a movie. And like you said, yeah, that's a very fourth wall breaking moment where you obviously know you are watching a movie. So I think that's another that's kind of a meta moment. Like they're mm-hmm. they, they are acknowledging like yes, you are watching a movie even right now. Right. Like this vehicle through which we are criticizing and like making a demon out of this man created by a movie is in fact also a movie. And you're watching. They literally end it like it's fucking Jason Voorhees in like a Friday the 13th movie where another guy goes, hey, you're going to be okay, pal. Like the helicopter guy, like paramedic helping him out. And he's like, am I really your friend? (laughs) Right. (laughs) As it like zooms in on it. And obviously it's playing for a joke. But it is like a horror movie, like right. a full-on horror movie.
1: Oh, it's definitely a sting at the end to... to, It's like the taxi driver moment. It's yeah. like, oh, this ain't over. <laughs> <laughs> this has just begun. If you're going to let him live, you're going to see this again. Uh, it's like Carrie's hand coming out of the grave, right. basically. Like. And I'm fine with that, too. You know, maybe there's something of... Uh, this is the thing. When you're going to make a commentary about, like, well, this is what media has transformed us into, I just feel like... Jim Carrey in The Cable Guy is not the prime example of what media does to people because he could actually, that character could be divorced of media and still act in that manner and more or less be the same character. You know what I mean? He could have been like raised by
0: wolves and still act weird. Oh, really? I I kind of totally disagree, but I, I'll let you finish the thought and then I'll Well, it's I'll just sort of that, I mean, if you it.
1: take away the, the trappings of like, oh, he's singing a song and talking about, oh, I saw this on a documentary, or oh, this is like Star Trek. Say he... J- if you have the same movie and it's like, hey, I want to fight you, and he just doesn't make a Star Trek reference, it's still funny, maybe, and then sure. it's still the same sort of beat, but it's just adding that like Star Trek veneer or whatever, or the the media veneer or whatever. That's the only sort of tie-in you have to like, hey, look what media does to people. And again, it's not the media that did this. It's his
0: messed up chemistry that did this. So. Sure. Well, I. so what's interesting is that that layer you're talking about, to me, kind of is the motivation and point of it. Hmm. Like, the, if the thesis is this guy has no human connection and didn't have any parents really guiding him nor friends, and his only understanding of reality... Is everything he saw on television, I, everything he does and says is this is taking that all the way, like like it, it it's sort of like his the concept of that character is he has no really clear way to personally interact with anyone and he's basically like a serial killer <laughs> and he's he's just faking everything like everything he's saying and doing is something he got from television, like okay for instance like he goes in and. They're having a basketball game, right? Like he he right. breaks in, hey guys, room for one more. And then he's Michael Jordaning and like fouling <laughs> and being insane and like horribly mean. Everything he does is just really mean, really overly sexualized. Everything right. like just just petty, shitty. And I think the idea is like that's what we reflect in television. And so this is what he values and this is how he behaves. That's really how I saw it.
1: That's interesting because I don't think you actually need the TV media connection for that. The fact that he's like over sexualized or mean or whatever you could.
0: I mean, I think that it's funny regardless. Yes, In order for it to be funny. Yes, it's not required. But I see it as like, this is why this is happening in the movie, is this was the logic followed. You know? Sure, and I, I, which I totally understand. I'm
1: just saying he could still, like you could still have the basketball scene, say, in the version of the cable guy I'm talking about where media is not the thing that messed him up. He could still be, you know, that scene doesn't need like a media reference, right. you know what I mean? Him setting up the cable in the beginning doesn't need a, a media reference. There's just all these signposts that sort of say, hey, media is involved in this. Trust us, we'll get to it. And as you, you know, are with Jim Carrey more and more, you see him referencing media more. But I do feel like, I, I feel like it's the strength of the movie. You don't necessarily need him to be like obsessed
0: with media for this whole thing to work. Well sure I, I mean that, it is that, an that interesting. film is called Taxi Driver. Like, you're right. like, there, there is a movie with the motivationless psycho I suppose that's true. That is just kind of nihilistically crazy but I do think there is
1: something to just saying well it's not necessarily a commentary on media it's just a social commentary because it's a funny version of Taxi Driver. You know what I mean? What <laughs> right. is Taxi Driver about except one
0: crazy dude who's exactly. Like, he would be crazy no matter what environment he yeah. was in. I mean I think this movie's like take Taxi Driver add a dash of of weird commentary on movies right and comedy right and then you get it there like i also think it's a really interesting movie that they cast all these comedians all over it oh i know it's like a mr show reunion which i think is part of like ben stiller's a comedian these are the people he knows but i think it's interesting like jim carrey's the crazy overly comedic one and then, pretty aside from the people at medieval times, like so, Andy Dick and Janine Groffle are like obviously playing for comedy, right? But pretty much everyone else, like so, I forgot like Jack Blacks in this right. as as uh, Matthew Broderick's like best friend, and while he, he he's not his like crazy Jack Black super funny self, he's like basically a normal guy. Well, he's yeah. also
1: got the Jack. Well,
0: well not he the Jack. Can't like help. But he's the be best. He's the
1: wacky best
0: friend. Yeah, but he's not that crazy. Like he doesn't really. D- he's just like, yeah, I like rock and roll. Woo. Right. That's about as nuts as he gets. Like it's not like a Jack Black show, or, or like. But he is the the role that a comedian is traditionally cast yes, in. So Yes. But what I'm saying is, in contrast to Jim Carrey, all these comedians seem like normal ass people. <laughs> right. Like, like Jack Black. David Cross is like a guy, just the guy that works at the office. Bob Odenkirk is just like a friend over for dinner with right. the porno password or whatever. Owen Wilson is like, I mean, he is kind of playing he, it he's for He's kind funny. of played broad. He's played broad as like the bad date who's like complaining about chicken and stuff and all that. But, but, and then, and then gets beaten to death, half to death <laughs> by, by a Freddie by Mercury a, looking <laughs> Jim Carrey. <laughs> Throwing powder in his face and making him... <laughs> So what does he make him put him on a, a hand dryer and says like you put, you're going like Dizzy yeah, Well, put your mouth on it. It's it like kind of fucked up.
1: I mean, the whole movie's kind of fucked, <laughs> and I loved that aspect of it. It was just how far is this guy going to go? I mean, there was a, they. I think they got the comedy of that. It's like, well, if you're going to do a stalker for laughs, do it like this because right. any more real and it's kind of terrifying. Did you? I,
0: I found it to be quite funny and maybe my humor is just a lot darker now. How did you feel about the comedy?
1: I actually really was again, I was sort of surprised at how kind of Jim Carrey esque it was because I remembered it being dark, but I mean, he's doing a lot of Jim Carrey bits. (laughs) He's he's maybe reining it in just that last notch and not talking out his butt, but he's also like (laughs) everything is a Jim Carrey bit. I mean you're not mistaking who's playing this part,
0: right? I think one of his first lines he just belts it to the Rooftops so right. It's just like loser or whatever. Yeah, whatever. just it, absolutely. It's pretty clear pretty yeah, quickly. He's
1: at 11 and he's nah. and he is playing characters and he's, you know, improving
0: and doing a lot of just like going for the right. the, the gag. So what was it I didn't like? The first time is it because he's a negative character? Like, am I as an older person way more comfortable with him being this dark anti character? Probably. I mean, I was at the time. I was like, why is he kidnapping people? I don't understand. Yeah, him. why is he being mean? He's I supposed guess to be fun. Yeah. You know? Well, because he
1: is. But I mean, we're looking at it in the context of like, haha, that's funny. He's doing all these evil things and sort of getting away with it. Whereas I, I think as an adult, it's funnier assholes are funnier because you sort of know it's like oh I'm not supposed to tread on that whereas I think as a kid you take it much more seriously. But is that
0: now and John don't hate me for this but is that also part of the sort of meta commentary of the movie of sort of like what plays on television and for entertainment is not nice people well, what plays for TV, they're showing Jerry Springer and all this is overly sexualized, really shitty people. That could be. And so that's who this guy is because that's what he's reflecting. And then we are out laughing at it because it is funny. Right. But it's like not good. But we're the dicks for yeah, laughing at him. Kind for of, <laughs> For like, egging him on. Maybe. I mean, maybe I'm bringing a lot of weird shit to the table, but like, this
1: is the things I see. Well, let me, let's, let's take it to the other side now. Let's talk about the Matthew Broderick character. Okay. Here's my, looking at him and and his performance, I like Matthew Broderick in most things I see him in. So to see him in this, I kind of realized, oh, he's just sort of, anybody could play this part. Oh, I kind yeah, of feel like, and totally. it, it's not necessarily him doing something wrong. It's just that, well, he's not doing something particularly different you know what I mean he's just being generic yeah I mean let's be honest
0: like he's basically just
1: kind of there he's like know. a victim character yeah, yeah. I, I mean honestly that's I mean, was totally a
0: straight man just playing to Jim Carrey's lunacy I
1: kind of wonder if Ben Stiller wasn't like thinking about playing that role because it just seems like a typical Ben Stiller like eh, oh okay yeah right.
0: oh hit me in the head
1: oh yeah I'm stupid you know I don't know it just seemed like a very generic like oh I'm a sap and a sucker and like part of the thing I you know when you get to the end part of the whole movie is Matthew Broderick's been dumped by uh, his girlfriend who was played by Leslie Mann who oh, yes. is was uh, married to Judd Apatow who was one of the who producers the mirror, I yeah. think he also wrote rewrote the script uh, although well he I? didn't get credit yeah. for it because you're not allowed to when you're a producer um, but uh, I, Leslie Mann's character is I mean part of it is just like I don't see why I don't see what Matthew Broderick sees in her because she's kind of just cold and distant and she never yeah. gets much better it's not that she's evil and she's not like a harpy and she's not like a stereotypical bad girlfriend as as shown in many other like movies so i appreciate that but there's no point where i say to myself oh this is
0: a woman that's worth getting hung up on she just sort sure. of is like well i mean to me that's a problem of you know mid to late 90s like Bechtel test failing cinema <laughs> you know basically like this has nothing to do with her as a character she's not meant right. to be appealing or whatever it she's literally there for a plot point right And it's just a pretty face doing basically nothing. Well, I kind of kept waiting for her to, like, realize that the
1: grass was greener on the other side of the street and and leave Matthew Broderick. And I would kind of have been okay with that because... Again, he's just sort of a slump, and I'm just like, I, you know, it's funny that he gets himself into all this mess, but I just don't sympathize with him enough to care. Yeah,
0: I mean, honestly, she, her whole character and the way she's written is one beat away from like Spider-Man girlfriend in the fridge. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of like the level we're at of like she's slightly there slightly better. She's there to get kidnapped and to mm. and have Matthew Broderick be freaked out while uh, Jim Carrey inserts himself into her life. Other and to be a plot point, right? Of you know, he. This is why he's going to the apartment and no, oh, i need to make That's it true up for now you're making
1: me like that character even less because i i feel like you're right she is sort of just the template which for which they, her
0: character yeah her character yeah, it's not a character it's just a <laughs> plot plan. it's a like, it's a plot template you're right owen wilson drops into the movie and you know everything about his character in like five seconds because of the way <laughs> he portrays it but leslie mann is given absolutely nothing to do that's and it's true. just sitting there smiling while she's being, you know, kidnapped or like. Manipulated. And then they, Matthew Broderick, I guess, still feels sympathetic to Jim Carrey at the end, and she's sitting there smiling. Like, this motherfucker, like, tied me up and hung me out in the, in the rain. I'm not fucking smiling, like, oh, hugging my boyfriend during that moment. That's fucking insane. Like, I would just be screaming at the cops to shoot him. <laughs> So, I mean, that's no fault of Leslie Manns whatsoever. Her performance is fine. She's doing what she can. Yeah, it's just, that's just, well, you are a movie written by a man and directed by a man. Right. right.
1: Well, you're right, though. I mean, Janine Garofalo shows up for two minutes and you already know way more about her character (laughs) than you know about Leslie Mann.
0: Honestly, she might be the funniest part of the whole fucking movie. She was fucking hysterical. I know that's an easy bit, but just go like. (laughs) Well, still requires, you know,
1: I mean, even if it is an easy joke, it's still funny and you got to do it right and you know she was the perfect one for that just, uh, hello my lords welcome to medieval times <laughs> just that was great Come loved on, it oh man that
0: was my favorite part of the whole medieval times I like time they thing. gave her an eyeliner too they gave her like under eye eyeliner and a anarchy anarchy text, text. <laughs> and she just and she's looks, like there were no utensils in medieval times therefore there are no muti- utensils at medieval times but there was pepsi Dude, I got tables. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. That's you good. know so much about her.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, well, any uh, what else? What else do you like slash
0: dislike about this movie? Seeing it again. Years later, I don't know. I, li- I like how fucked up it is. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, and you kind of forget, like, he hires a prostitute and has, <laughs> you know, has um, uh, Matthew Broderick sleep with a prostitute. And right. then his re- reaction is just like, don't worry, she's clean, man. <laughs> it's like, fucking, weird. like, he doesn't understand how taboo and horrible that is. Like, right. Just everything he does. I like that he's fucking like a uh, mafia Don that has like the control of police officers in like half the county. Yeah. Just because yeah, he gave him free cable.
1: Yeah. Just because <laughs> he gave him free cable. That was pretty funny. And then uh, Charles Napier was playing the cop, which was great because <laughs> he shows up like in the background of one right. scene first. And I'm like, I, I don't know why I love this so much, but I always love it when like bigger characters start off in the background. It's just like a... Oh, uh, totally. I just love that like playing him down, not giving him the biggest entrance on planet earth for every single character. I love that when directors do that. Um, and speaking of which Ben Stiller directing the movie, any, anything you notice about Ben Stiller as a director that you give a shit about?
0: (laughs) Well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, he hasn't directed a terrible mini movies, but I've liked a lot of them that he's done. I think this one had the most that I can remember sort of directorial cinematic style dial like there was very conscious decisions of like oh we're singing Jefferson Airplane and somebody to love so we're gonna go full like psychedelic 60s music video (laughs) fucking drug dream insanity (laughs) and playing and I love there's some weird decision of the, the so it'd be so easy to play it where Matthew Broderick is just having sex with this prostitute but he's intercutting Jim Carrey singing the song with her, like, rubbing his head. She's basically giving him a scalp massage. <laughs> him a mass- and him just, like, oh. <laughs> and I was just like, this is such a weird decision. Like, they're in, like, Ghosts doing pottery or something. Like. Right. Like, and that's it like that you you don't see it doesn't get like super sexual it's just like this head scalp rubbing right such a weird decision i really liked that it's so strange
1: well there's a lot of like uh camera moves around jim carrey obviously i I, I feel like that was ben stiller just like just getting orgasmic over like oh shit carrey's gonna move this way the camera's gonna move that way because it's just like you could just tell they're like okay when you like Lock your hand in like this. We're gonna swing the camera around it. Yeah, he just. I mean,
0: by the end of the movie, he was the Baba Duke. Like it was insane. (laughs) It was like he was going like flying down and like a monster. There's even that um, fantasy sequence of of him with like demon eyes, right, terrorizing. Which actually, if I recall, a a little trickery. I think in the they they play that in the trailer as like real. Oh, okay. Like it's a fantasy sequence in the movie, but I think in the trailer they tried to play it like, oh, look, it's funny comedy. The part where he's I'm leaving now. Um, right. Bye-bye. Yes. See ya. Yeah, you know, I think they played that like it's real, but it's it's part of this fantasy sequence. Right. All right. Well, I think we've beat this
1: dead horse long enough. I'm going to ask you something, John Longino. Yes. It's about this movie.
0: And uh-huh. if And if you thought that it hold, held up. Well, let me tell you that uh, I think it did. Um, and interestingly maybe not in the way i thought it would i because i at first i was like i i thought this was going to be a funny movie and it wasn't when i was young and then i watched it when i was older and i saw the biting you know satirical social commentary that it was and i think it's it's kind of both like we've talked about like i think it i think it is a, a commentary on society but it is also really funny like i found it much funnier than I did and maybe that's because I'm old and dark and mean and evil I don't know but I took a weird pleasure in like how awful he was in that movie and and I really enjoyed
1: it well not you know you just say that and I just realized something Ace Ventura and The Mask they're both sort of skewing younger right I mean this is sort of the first Jim Carrey that's like you can be an adult Jim Carrey. Right? I mean, it's still like a PG 13 movie, but I think that, that they were aiming for an adult sensibility. So maybe that's the difference. Maybe you're right. Maybe it was Jim Carrey's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll do my little shtick, but it's gonna be for an older audience. Or maybe he didn't even think of it that way. Anyway, I will also say that it held up, which I'm a little surprised by because the way it held up for me is sort of similarly. I just, I was going in expecting to be like looking at this dark comedy or social satire or whatever, and I just enjoyed it as like, eh, this is a funny movie with some fucked up shit. And it's <laughs> right. like it's like a funny taxi driver, like we said, <laughs> which I didn't expect that simplicity to actually work. If uh, you know, if you had told me before, well, it's not really biting social satire, but it's kind of funny to watch Jim Carrey do a lot of shit. I would have probably thought, eh, not for me. Sure, I, I'm not impressed by
0: that, but I actually was. So, well, I think expectations lend a lot to it. There's, I, there's definitely upon first viewing of this movie i don't care if you're seeing it now or back then like there's just confusion (laughs) you're like what is this you know but like once you know what they're going for and how because it gets so evil and crazy by the end right i really think watching it with that in mind you peg immediately like he jim curry is the villain you know he's he is the travis bickle right i think that helps the viewing
1: you know what's interesting, and I didn't even think of this while we were talking about it, but even the first line from Matthew Broderick, because he's sitting around in his apartment waiting for the cable guy. And the first thing he says is this stilted, weird, "Where is that cable guy?" <laughs> and then the second thing he says is he gets on the phone with Jack Black and's like, "I can't believe the cable guy's not here. It's so broad and so weird and right. so like he's the one that doesn't
0: actually seem real." From the beginning I mean he he Well Matthew Broderick you know. is a weird character because by any and all logic he should be way more freaked out and because beha- he doesn't <laughs> behave in a way that's real I mean, I, I, I feel like like Jim Carrey almost cuts him in half at medieval times. <laughs> and then they get home and he's like, that was a really great time. We should go again next week. Right. No one would ever say that. Like if they almost just died, they would they would be running in terror. So like he, it's weird. He almost has to like be both skeptical of Jim Carrey, but also accept everything and keep yeah. the movie going. I kind of, I said something before.
1: In the first half, I think I said something like Matthew Broderick isn't sympathetic in this movie because he makes like choices based on the fear of like, oh, I gave, he gave me free cable and what will happen as a result of that. I actually feel like it wasn't as unsympathetic as I thought he was going to be, but that oddly still doesn't translate into sympathy.
0: Well, it's weirdly, (laughs) there's like a sub theme to the movie about authenticity yeah. So it's like Jim Carrey is saying and doing whatever he wants, but the problem is is he has no identity, right? So sure. is he being authentic or is he just mimicking television? Mm. Whereas Matthew Broderick is a real person raised by real people and, and is quote unquote normal but he's so like passive aggressive and, and, and so um, repressed that like he wants to be a bad guy or he he's just too nice. And, oh, you, oh my God. Like if I was with a a woman and I, by the way, she, so he asked his girlfriend to marry him. She said no. And that's why he's moving out. Right. If I'm with a woman (laughs) and I say, Hey, let's get married. And she says, nah, I don't think so. And maybe you should move out. That fucking relationship is over. Like, I don't know what's going on. But he's yeah. like, he's just following along like, ah, oh, you know, I hope she calls me. I want to get back together. He, yeah. th- he doesn't want to tell her like how he actually feels. Jim Carrey even says to him like, hey, this is, you're not doing what she wants or you're not being yourself. You need to be authentic or whatever. I mean, you just put
1: into words something that maybe I should have been thinking of even more, which is like, she told him she doesn't want to marry him and get out of my house. And then by the end they're together again, and this is a good thing. This is the woman who, like, you're not supposed to ask that question lest you know the answer. And yeah, so I'm now it's even more. She should be like
0: pissed, or yeah, or or, I don't know, like.
1: So yeah, I actually I like this idea you're onto this authenticity thing. I actually really like that. Yeah, because there's something about him that's and her that's inauthentic, whereas Jim Carrey, like you say, more authentic but just lost in this facade that
0: he's created yeah i mean maybe that's what jim carrey's bringing out of him that he needs that's why he's kind of going along with that character even though he's like oh god get away from like the the night that they have their big party he wakes up in the morning jim carrey's making him fucking breakfast and he's like I really needed that. That's <laughs> yeah, great. He just got his scalp massaged and fucked his brains out with a prostitute or whatever. Well, and the then, funny
1: thing is, it's like if you're not, if you didn't see the scene before, if you just saw Jim Carrey making him <laughs> eggs and Matthew Broderick coming out and saying, oh, I needed that, you'd get a whole
0: different. You know, right. Look at that scene. You'd be thinking But he kinda did need it from him in a way. Like yeah. like he's 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 encouraging him to do this crazy stuff that he's repressed and isn't gonna do. And then he keeps getting caught up in these formalities like she's Rusty, <laughs> 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 which he has every right to be like, Oh my god, it's shocked and like what but that's the thing. By the end of the movie, it's a big deal for him to do the scene where he's standing in the rain with Jim Carrey and goes, Listen, I don't have any room in my life for friends right now. I don't want to be your friend. It took him a fucking hour and fifteen minutes to say what we knew he felt in scene one, which is all he had to do was say, No, I don't want to go out with you. Please leave. And the movie's over. That's like, true. So that's he that's I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but there well, is like, a
1: weird like subtext no, to it. No, I do like what you're going for. I mean I don't think that's necessarily only his character I think that's like maybe that's another societal thing where it's like hey maybe we say things we don't mean and it gets us into trouble just for being polite right because I think that's what he I don't think he's got an agenda in the beginning I think it's just
0: no a, he's just too nice for he's just being good. too nice and yeah. maybe he's just
1: being too nice to Leslie Mann. but then maybe by the end he shouldn't be as nice as he is or or maybe it's like Travis Bickle, he never learns his lesson, and now all these things will repeat themselves again. Maybe that's the whole right.
0: point. Maybe a good human being is not completely repressed and, and uh, kicked out of his own home by his girlfriend <laughs> he's still pining for, but also not this completely unbridled psycho who indulges in just nothing but fantasy. I would have a mean, healthy mix is both. Like,
1: I would have never thought we would get this conversation <laughs> out of the Cable Guy, so I have to at least thank the movie for that. I did honestly. I would have never guessed that we would have gotten this deep into this movie. double hold up, man. I swear, has,
0: that's it, what yeah. I mean. There's something like I almost want to watch it again. Like there's something. There's like a subtext. I could write a fucking like psychological thesis on the Cable Guy. Like something is going on.
1: Something is going on, and I don't even know if Ben Stiller knows what's going on, <laughs> but there is something going on. You're right. I, maybe it's just a lucky accident and all this stuff. He's just like, I don't know. It seems to work. Just throw it together and let's see what happens. But even so, it's even if it's just a blank slate that we're putting our own shit on, it's still interesting. Yeah. <laughs> even if
0: it's born out of the collective unconscious and it's some like subconscious thing that Ben Stiller put out. I, I'm i picking up on it and I, I'm liking what I'm seeing and I want to. I'm. Oh, man. I, would, I need to go back to film school and, like, write a paper on The Cable <laughs> Guy.
1: Yeah. Get an A-plus, bro. All right. Well, let's close the book on The Cable Guy. Do you want to know, John Longino, what we are going to do next month? Nah. Yes. No. All right. I, absolutely. No, nope. you said know. no. Forget <laughs> it. I'm not saying. Oh, I'm going to tell you anyway. We're doing a film noir, a neo-noir. We're, we're doing a little John Dahl film called Red Rock West excellent thank you for listening folks if you want to contact us and give us movie suggestions or uh tell us that we are absolutely 100 percent wrong about the cable guy then you can write us at holapodcast at gmail.com or you can head to holapodcast.com and hit us at any of our many many social media sites and until next time nobody move nobody gets hurt <laughs>